Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. On today's episode of Starcourt Study Hall, we are going to be talking about American Celebrity Chef Restaurant. <laughs> I can't even get through it. Restaurateur and reality TV personality, Bobby Flayed. Bobby Flayed, everybody. <laughs> Amazing. I tried to do that with a straight We tried. <laughs> it just did not work. The, the Bobby Flayed. The Bobby Flayed. That's this episode. Chapter five of season three. The Bobby Flayed. Yes. <laughs> this is our 50th episode. Yeah. Unreal. This is our 50th, Unreal. 50th Starcourt Study Hall episode, everybody. Yeah. You'd think we would stay on topic, but we're talking about the Food Network today. <laughs> <laughs> well, today is our 50th episode, and it is also almost our one-year anniversary of the creation and inception of this podcast. Of our Google Docs. Yes. <laughs> our Google Sheets yeah. and our Google Docs. Not the one-year anniversary of our first episode. Not that Not no. that yet. Not quite soon, though. Yeah. It's like August. I know. Right? Sometime in August. We'll figure it out. All right. Let's get into it. Let's do a quick little summary and our fast facts first. Okay. So Amanda's cat will be reading the summary. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't know what his problem is. I really hope it's not another <laughs> whatever episode that was. Okay. So this episode, um, just to be clear, chapter five of season three, The Flayed, is written by Paul Dichter and directed by a director who we haven't actually had direct an episode yet. Yeah. Uta Breezewitz is her name. Mm -hmm. And she actually directs the next chapter, too. But then that's it. Um, this chapter aired on July 4th, 2019, as, you know, the rest of the season. And here's a summary straight from Netflix. This is my favorite summary so far. Oh boy. I just, I want to <laughs> say that this is, so far is my favorite. Strange things lurking. <laughs> just strange, not stranger. No, strange things lurk inside an old farmhouse. Something is hidden deep beneath the Starcourt Mall. The Mind Flayer is gathering strength. Oh, boy. Again, it just really doesn't scratch the surface, no. does it? No, it doesn't. Nothing nope. Nothing about the, the hospital. Nothing about, like... You're right. The I, I don't know. It does not indicate anything about the flayed people. <laughs> no, nothing about, like, exploring the Holloway's house. Nothing. Nothing. It just, like... The Mind Flayer gathering strength is one thing, but that doesn't really tell us how. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So some quick fast facts. This chapter was the one originally titled The Source, mm -hmm. not The Flayed. I think we can probably gather why that is. We'll get into it when we are talking about our scenes. There is a continuity error with Hop's pepperoni stick in the with scene his <laughs> with his pepperoni stick. <laughs> 
so sorry. This is very similar to the problem with Steve's banana. Right. <laughs> yeah. Similar problem. <laughs> similar problems. In the scene when they commandeer Todd's car, Hop gives Todd his pepperoni stick. Pretty sure it's just a Slim Jim. Yeah, I think it's a Slim right? Jim. Okay. After Joyce joins them, though, Hopper has the pepperoni stick again and gives it to Todd again. <laughs> wow, a second pepperoni stick. Also, like, if I was Todd, I'd be like, ew, I don't want this. You were eating I don't want it. your Slim Jim. I don't want your Slim Jim. Jim. <laughs> Slim Jim Hopper. <laughs> and last but not least, <laughs> before we descend into total madness, the hospital scene at the end of this chapter took two nights to film. Wow. Yeah, between this and the sauna test, like, they're pretty action-packed mm-hmm. ends of these chapters. Yeah, I really, I enjoy this episode a lot. So yeah. those are our, our fast facts for this chapter. Very good. Okay. Let's get into our scenes, everybody. Take it away. All aboard the Tower of Terror, everyone. Mm-hmm. Steve, Robin, Dustin, and Erica are plummeting downwards, still in the elevator. As the foursome screams bloody murder... Dustin urgently attempts to stop the freefall by mashing the button panel. All of a sudden, the elevator comes to an abrupt stop, throwing all the boxes and our heroes into chaos. Robin and Steve argue about the poor design of Russian elevators until Robin insists that a keycard is needed to operate the exit door. Erica freaks out and tells them that Mrs. Sinclair is going to slit their throats if she finds out that Robin, Steve, and Dustin are behind this mess. Dustin has a bright idea to climb out of the elevator since they're seemingly trapped inside. Him and Steve ascend through the hatch in the ceiling, only to find themselves deep in an elevator shaft with no way out. So later on in this chapter, Steve calls Dustin roast beef. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize why that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked about it a few scenes later, yeah. <laughs> it's just that Dustin is wearing a shirt that says roast beef. Yeah. And the cow is sunbathing. Yeah, I, it took me... Like, I Googled the shirt, and it took mm. me Googling it, and basically you just see it sold everywhere. There's no explanation for this shirt. It just is, like, you can just buy it. But when I looked at it more closely, I realized it's a cow sunbathing roast beef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I was like, why did he just call him roast beef? Like, it's <laughs> just like a term of endearment. And then I realized, oh, it's because of his shirt. Yeah. Very it's just cute. a graphic tee. I know. I kind of want one. It's sort of funny. <laughs> a roast beef shirt. Yeah. <laughs> roast beast roast beast <laughs> okay i have to ask does steve not know what a key card is yeah he seemed pretty perplexed by that yeah. whole concept but like they've already talked about the need for a key card right so what is where is this confusion coming from i don't know i don't know i also feel like this scene particularly the screaming part where they're all like <laughs> screaming right was kind of poorly acted <laughs> i literally wrote I can't imagine how funny this was to film because yeah. I could see through like yes. the special effects. Like it was just them laying there screaming. Right. <laughs> there was no actual elevator plummeting down. Yeah, I I wrote that because I felt I didn't think it was poorly active, but now that you said that, I think that's why I had that thought. Maybe. Yeah, like you can see that they're not actually in this the, yeah, I don't know, the screaming part. But then once Steve is like, My groin, I thought that was better. <laughs> Me too. I thought that was funny. Yeah, and his his little meltdown was good. It's mostly just the screaming that I was like, All right. Yeah, like this is a little silly. Or right, you guys are being bad at your jobs and all of a sudden. I don't even know if it was like fully them or like the camera kind of almost comically panning to each of them. Mm, it's like yeah, it sort it's of true. made it funny. Yeah, it felt, yeah. Like, I don't know if it was meant to be, but it sort of was. It was definitely meant to be funny. Yeah, it was a little comical. 
<laughs> it's a little bit comical. Why would Mrs. Sinclair be so mad about them in particular? Like, wouldn't she just be mad in general? Yeah, right. I don't think it would matter who she was with. Maybe just because it was like, they're supposed to be like the responsible people in the circle. Dustin. Well, not Dustin, but you know, the two the two older teens. I just can't even fathom Mrs. Sinclair knowing about Steve's existence. This is very true. Does she even know Steve exists? She definitely yeah, and doesn't know Robin exists. Nope. No idea Robin exists. Mm-mm. So I was just, I had a question. I just wanted to know, like, what about that in particular was. Because at this point, the only way Mrs. Sinclair would know who Steve is, is he is the ex-boyfriend of one of her son's friend's older sisters. Like, how would she know that? Kevin Bacon. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like too many degrees. Like, Yeah. I don't know if she meant like them in particular or just the situation, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know either. Mm. Too Yeah, too far removed, though. Yeah, no. Hopper and Joyce arrive at the abandoned Hess farm to look for any telltale signs of upside-down shenanigans. And that is exactly what they find, because the lights are pulsing, as they tend mm. to do. Joyce, noticing a rumbling from beneath them, crouches down to put her ear against the floor, but instead notices that a vent under a nearby Murphy bed is glowing red. Hop lifts up the bed to reveal a flight of stairs heading downwards. They descend the stairs to find two Russian men working on a machine, and Hopper holds them at gunpoint as they bicker about the language barrier. Grigori arrives on his motorcycle and enters the farmhouse, Joyce noticing his footsteps on the floorboards above. I know I said this to you already, but when I was writing the scene by scene for this chapter, I did have, like, I had not a single, (laughs) this scene didn't exist, like, I was like, did they like retcon this in like later? <laughs> nope, it was always there. Are you sure? I promise. <laughs> it's not like what they did with like removing Jonathan taking photos, you know, that whole rumor that they took that out of season Which one. Which they didn't at all. Which they totally didn't. But like, did they like, you know, put this in after? Because this scene has zero, I don't know. Yeah, no, this is how they get Alexi. Yeah, I just didn't even, maybe <laughs> I was getting up at all 19 times. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but um, it happens. Thanks. <laughs> I love when they pull in the driveway and there's a Lynx truck there because that is such an awesome detail just for the viewers because we know what it means, but they have no idea. Yeah, and it also goes back to what I said about proof that you need to watch this show multiple yes. times. <laughs> yes, you have to. You have to because it is. It's like a tiny little detail that I only notice watching it this time around. Yeah. There's a few of those where I feel like I'm like, oh, how did I never see that? Mm-hmm. For sure. Also, just for reference, shouting I don't understand while holding someone at gunpoint is not a good way to break a language barrier. No, not at all. For future Especially, reference. No, if you're ever in that situation, just don't, <laughs> don't do that. proceed in that way. No, yeah, no. No, not good. Maybe break out Duolingo, Google mm-hmm. Translate, mm-hmm. all good options. Yeah, but not that. Mm -mm. Why is the door to this house just unlocked? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you would think that, like, given what was going on beneath the house, they would have been like, we should lock the door. This reminds me of, like, every time you listen to, like, Dateline or, like, any sort of Mm -mm. true crime podcast, they're like, it was a small town. No one even locked their doors. Why? (laughs) Lock them. Complacency. Right? Like, it takes 30 seconds, not even five seconds. To lock your door. Just do it. Yeah, no. But, like, there's nobody even living here. There's just, a, like, a super secret Russian right. like, operation occurring under a Murphy bed. Like, also, like, 
Were the stairs always under the Murphy bed or did the Russians mm. build the stairs under the Murphy bed? That's a good question. And honestly, if they were, that's pretty cool. I would love to have a mechanic like that in my house. That's pretty sick. Yeah. I would buy that house. Right. That farm. I'd buy that farm. <laughs> I'd buy that farm. The super secret staircase under the Murphy bed. It sounds wonderful. I think it's cool. And I just need to clarify something. The implication here is that this mini bunker is part of a larger bunker system. I think. Okay. It's still unclear. Like, we kind of talked about this in the last episode. Like, why are there so many? Is it for diversion? Is it just in case it didn't work out here? Is Like, we don't, we don't really know. It seems like there's nothing else at those other houses. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe diversion is it or they're just buying up properties with the intentions of expanding yeah. the system. But it just, all of these connect to the Starcourt right. system, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe I'm guessing or or like they're not physically connected maybe but it's like they're supplying the power somehow I don't know I well yeah because they're working on a machine yeah maybe they're making like mini prototypes of the key or I don't know Ooh. what they're I, I really truly do not know what they're doing <laughs> does anybody know what they're doing <laughs> like this is another one of those instances where like I feel like it's like we just missed it and it's really obvious but <laughs> I don't know unclear yeah Grigori enters the underground bunker to find his fellow comrade tied up and gagged. Hopper appears behind him and puts his gun to Grigori's head, ordering him to drop his weapon. Joyce hides nearby with the other Russian man, who is handcuffed to a pipe. The two listen as Hop and Grigori go back and forth, both speaking English now, about how Hop won't shoot him because Hop is a policeman and policemen have rules. Hop fires his gun. But Grigori dodges the bullet and a fight ensues. The two go at it for a while, testosterone a-raging and bullets a-flying until Hop manages to whack Grigori in the knee with a crowbar, sending him stumbling backward onto the ground. Ow. Hop quickly runs over to Joyce and the other man, whom he calls Smirnoff, and uncuffs him from the pipe just to recuff him to Hop's own wrist. Hop, Joyce, and Smirnoff make a run for it as Grigori, now trapped below because of the Murphy bed, continues to fire off bullets. Hop orders Joyce to drive. <laughs> Joyce, drive. <laughs> Once they get in his truck, the Terminator uh, yes. escapes from his Murphy bed prison and attempts to shoot the escapees before running out of bullets. That was a lot. It was. <laughs> it was a lot. The long paragraph. <laughs> I know Hawkins is pretty rural, but you're telling me no one heard any of that. <laughs> no, machine guns blaring. People screaming in Russian. Nothing. None of nope. it. Mm -mm. Not one. Not one chaos was heard that day. This is it's a small town. We all mind our own business. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would say they're pretty out there in the nowhere. It, you know? Yeah, it does seem that way. Plus, they're in a house under the floorboards. like <laughs> Under the under floor. the floorboards. <laughs> like, I, I, I just I can see nobody hearing this commotion. Mm -hmm. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Do you know why they opted to isolate Alexi and preserve him and not the other guy? I honestly think it was just convenience. Like, he was just okay. available to them. Okay. Because it seemed like they they almost kept the other guy exposed as bait. Yeah. Right? Maybe they realized Alexi was kind of running the operation. Yeah, I could see that, too. He does, yeah. Yeah, because I think he's, like, the lead scientist in this, mm -hmm. you know, little bunker mm -hmm. of the two of them. 
Yeah, the leader of these yeah. two. <laughs> the, the president and the vice president. <laughs> I like seeing Alexi and Joyce like listening in, like eavesdropping, mm-hmm. because I feel like it, it goes back to what we were saying about Alexi seeming hesitant to proceed with this operation that they're doing. Like he, yeah. he's, he's not, his heart's not in it. No. Like he's like, I'll eavesdrop on this. Yeah. I wanted to mention something that one of our listeners mentioned about hops D and D alignment. Mm. I think I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And if I'm not, you can just, you know, yell, but Rhea, she is on Instagram, the movie hag. And she wrote on our D and D episode post from like over a couple of months ago at this yeah. point that hop is actually a neutral good and not a chaotic good or a lawful good okay and i agree and i don't know why we didn't yeah see this but she said that chaotic goods have issues cooperating with lawful officials so essentially how could hop himself be a lawful official as a chaotic good Mm. so that would debunk your alignment right yeah And then for mine, he's not so cooperative that he'd be lawful good either because he's clearly willing to bend the rules as needed. This is true. It's very true. We see right here. Exactly. Very much. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention that because Grigori is like, policemen have rules. So it's like. They do, but Hop Hop doesn't follow them. (laughs) Exactly. I just thought that that was. uh, Yeah. That was like worth mentioning because I think we were both wrong. (laughs) I think so too. Yeah, he's a neutral good, I think. Yeah, I would agree. For sure. For the record, too, I have zero recollection of the scene as well. <laughs> Not even Joyce Drive? That part, yes. <laughs> Maybe I just was, like, blacked out for the whole <laughs> basement part, but I <laughs> no recollection. I feel like it's because, like, you mentioned, I think, like, two episodes ago, when they're kind of, like, searching all the houses, or maybe that was the last episode, that you originally didn't really understand what they were doing. Right. Yes. Maybe I just was like, I still don't understand what's going on. I'm going to tune out yeah, for the like you can first... retain it. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. How did none of them get shot? There was bullets everywhere. Literally everywhere. Everywhere. Not even Joyce. Like, Joyce is not trained to do any of nope. this. Nope. I don't know how not a single shot was actually made. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Gregory's got bad aim. Yep. Bad aim. Over at the Byers, Jonathan is trying to sleep because he had a late night with Fagin and the gang, whoever they are, but the phone won't stop ringing. It's Nancy, and yes, she knows she's insane, but she is at the hospital still with Mrs. Driscoll, who is sedated because they're running tests. To make matters even more confusing, Nancy wants to speak with Will, but he's not even home. Panicked, Nancy asks Jonathan if Will is safe, scaring the ever-loving shit out of him. Oh no. (laughs) I mean, in Jonathan's defense here, it is... Not even 6 a.m. That's bad. But who is Fagan and the gang? Who are these people? Are they his imaginary friends? (laughs) I feel like Jonathan would have imaginary friends. I mean, we've never seen him with real friends. We've never seen him with real friends. Like, I feel like he would have at least one or two imaginary friends. He's gotta, this poor kid. (laughs) Who are these people? Maybe they're a band that he really likes, and he was just, like, up late listening to music, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm hanging out with Fagin and the gang, but it's really just him (laughs) listening to his cassettes. I thought you were going to say he was, like, at a show. Nope. Mm -mm. No. Hanging out with his cassettes. Yeah. Oh, poor Jonathan. 
It's been made very clear for three seasons that this man has no friends. And then suddenly he has a group of friends who kept him out, like, partying all night. Like, who are these people? Uh, honestly, it's not only Fagin, but it's also the gang. The gang. Like, Who's the gang? Who are these people? And uh, why do we know. never see them again? I also always appreciate the maturity when it comes to keeping everyone in the gang safe. Because mm-hmm. we got this in the sauna test, too, when Mike and Lucas put their pride aside to clue in Max and Elle into, like, what was going on, mm-hmm. even though they were fighting. And then same with Nancy. Like, she, you know, extended the olive branch, and she was persistent about it, too. Like, Jonathan really tried to hang up on her, and she was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's like, absolutely not. Yeah, like, this is bigger I- than our stupid relationship problems. Yeah, and I do feel like, unfortunately for Jonathan... And you could correct me if I'm wrong. I think he is the last one to be brought into the fold here that something is amiss. Yeah, I think so. Everybody else knows something is up. They don't know what it is, but they know something is up. And Jonathan knows nothing. Knows nothing. <laughs> and I think, yeah, well, the two the two parties don't know yet. Like the, the well, actually the three parties. The, the three parties don't know that the other two parties are clued in yet. Are clued in. Yeah. Yeah. That something is up. Yeah. As Hopper tries to fix his truck out in the woods, Joyce tries to explain her magnet predicament to Smirnoff, who is now handcuffed to a tree. The two attempt to overcome their language barrier, but Hopper is a big grump and tells them that they're giving him a headache. Hop condescendingly continues to refer to the man as Smirnoff, but Joyce corrects him. His name is Alexi. They attempt to get Hop's truck started, but Alexi warns them to stop. Just then, the truck bursts into flames and Alexi pesters Hop. He said, stop, damn it dumb idiot american being a big dumb idiot hop (laughs) he is he hasn't bounced back yet this season yeah you know i did say it feels a little odd that they're that he and joyce are both bickering like this because they were getting along so well in the previous episode and even in this episode before they kidnapped alexi they were on the same wavelength what the heck happened I don't know, and I don't want to blame the director, but something feels off this episode, and I think it's the director. I know, right? Like, it does kind of feel like things are weird. They are weird. Like, I had the same thought of, like, you all were totally fine with each other, like, five minutes ago, and now all of a sudden you hate each other and you bicker for the rest of the chat. Like, I don't... mm -mm, Don't get it. I don't know what happened here. No idea. Yeah, I don't know. It also feels out of character for Hopper not to know anything about cars agreed right it feels like he would i mean he grew up in what the 50s the 60s yeah and i mean isn't the summary for the first shadow doesn't it allude to hopper having a broken down car Mm -hmm. in the same way that jonathan does in season four yes it totally does and listen jonathan doesn't know anything about cars either (laughs) but jonathan is a sensitive artsy type and hop is not like that and i can't picture him ever having been like that no so it just feels weird to me that he wouldn't even be able to recognize that like this car is not okay maybe it's when you're really stressed yeah he's really stressed and he's not his problem solving skills are a little impaired yeah or something could be that i don't know i googled the actor who plays alexi yeah and i know that we talked about it already but his name is alec utgoff and he was actually born in um kiev oh in ukraine yeah in ukraine cool but at the time of his birth, it was still a Russian city in 1986. Yeah. And his mother is a musical conductor and his father is a heart surgeon. Wow. I know. I thought that was really cool. It is. When he was 10 years old, he moved to London, England, and his parents actually still both live in Kiev in Ukraine. Oh. 
Yeah. Ethnically, he is half Russian, half Ossetian, which I didn't even know what that was. Oh, yeah. And he has some ethnic German ancestry on his father's side. He is fluent in Russian, Ukrainian, and English. Wow. I know. I feel like that's got to be tough, too, to be fluent in both Russian and Ukrainian because they're very sure. similar. Yeah, that's a good point. Cool. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So the trio walk through the woods as Joyce and Hop argue over his plan to take Alexi to Murray, who lives in Illinois. Hop, <laughs> Hop continues to be a condescending asshole when Joyce asks if they're going to walk to Illinois, considering they have no vehicle. That feels like a valid question. It does feel like a valid question. Yeah. Like, how, how the fuck are we getting here, right. my man? We have no car. Okay. And I don't think that there's a, a, a budget or an enterprise on this road. No. Hello, there's no Hertz. No. No, there's not. <laughs> Hopper swats at a mosquito, and it's revealed that we are watching the scene unfold in Elle's mind void. The kids are actually in Mike's basement, and Elle is narrating what she is seeing to Mike, Will, Max, and Lucas. She tells them that Hop is in the woods with Will's mom, and they are going to Illinois. Mike clarifies (laughs) that they're going to the state of Illinois, but Elle shrugs. (laughs) Illinois. She says it almost like with an accent. It's like, Ill annoy. Yeah. <laughs> annoy. <laughs> I feel like in that last, like at that last ill annoy, you can see Millie yeah. like, like smirking just a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cute. Ill annoy. Ill annoy. Yeah. And, and poor Karen, man. She's just trying to feed the kids some food and they're like, not now! Not now, mom! Oh my God. <laughs> Mike, breakfast! Like, no, poor Karen. <laughs> She's just trying to be a good, like, house mom of house that always has all the kids in it. I know, right? She's that house. She is. She's that mom in town. Yeah. Does this this whole scene of them walking through the woods reminds me of the first Hunger Games, the arena in the first Hunger Games? Yes. It's, like, wooded and buggy and there's cicadas. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I don't know. It just reminds, like, where are the Jabber Jays? I don't <laughs> see them. Somebody get them. Aren't those in the second Hunger Games? Probably. <laughs> Who's in the first one? I don't know. As Max cleans Elle's nose blood, she examines the bruise Billy left on Elle's throat. She asks if it hurts, and Elle explains that it only hurts when she talks. Mike vents to Lucas and Will about how Hop's supposed adventure to Illinois with Joyce makes no sense. Not to mention Dustin is MIA. Lucas insists that it doesn't matter... They're not here, so they need to focus on finding Billy, but Mike disagrees. Finding Billy is pointless if they can't get to the Mind Flayer. The boys notice that Max and Elle have been in the bathroom for an awfully long time, and Mike worries that they're conspiring against him. Will, fed up with his nonsense, reminds Mike that Elle dumped his ass. The girls giggle because they can hear every stupid word that has left the boys' mouths. All of a sudden, Nancy and Jonathan knock on the basement door, demanding entrance. I love how Lucas puts just burning his girlfriend's actual brother on the table as a solution like i hope you don't mind maxine but we could just burn your brother and it would all be fine (laughs) i don't remember him saying that what does he He says like something like burn the shit out of him and then whatever and then that's when mike is like no that doesn't work because we need to get to the mind flyer not billy yeah (laughs) wow great idea yeah i'm pretty sure he's like burn the shit out of him and blah 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 like, I feel like he's probably implying that they do to him what they did to Will, but... Yes, that is exactly yeah. what it is, but 
different wording. So I wanted to point out that there are three empty glass bottles of Yoohoo on the table. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would give us a quick history lesson on Yoohoo. That's fantastic. Thank you. So Yoohoo is an American brand of chocolate flavored beverage that was created. I don't like that. It is delicious. Get out of here. But go ahead. (laughs) It was created by Natale Oliveri in Garfield, New Jersey in 1928. He was a maker of carbonated fruit beverages, but when he tried to bottle a chocolate drink, he found that it would soon spoil. Observing his wife canning fruits and vegetables, he asked her to use the same heat processing techniques with his chocolate drink, aka pasteurization. Also, I would like to say that his wife needs a bigger spotlight because she is kind of the inventor here. Yeah, really. As of February 2019, Yoohoo is made from water, high fructose corn syrup, whey from milk, and cocoa. That is it. It's just chocolate water. Yes, it is. And it's great. If you haven't Could had you Yoohoo, just, just get it. Take a glass of water for a second. Mm-hmm. Get some of that Hershey's chocolate syrup yeah. and just put it into your water yep. and mix it around. And that's Yoohoo. It is. That's, yep. I've seen people on TikTok do it and they're like, yep, tastes just like Yoohoo. That's disgusting. Nope. It's great. <laughs> but would you do that? No. Okay. <laughs> but Yoohoo is very nostalgic for me because when I used to have braces and my grandma would take me to the orthodontist, we would always mm. stop at the hot dog truck on the way home and, and there would be Yoohoo and hot dogs. So you're one of those. What? A Yoohoo and hot dogger. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> That's what my husband's family also does, except my mother-in-law calls them, calls them chocolate cows. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, and I just can't really fathom drinking chocolate water with a hot dog. It's great. It's amazing. There's nothing like it on this earth. And if you're not from New Jersey, this probably sounds horrifying to you. But I don't know why. It's just like an Italian New Jersey family thing. Chocolate water and hot dogs. It is. If you live in like North Jersey, you know that the hot dog trucks around here are iconic. Mm-hmm. They are. And and you who's just part of it. <laughs> <sighs> All right. <laughs> Marina doesn't like my chocolate water story, but I hope it's, some of you it's, do. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Back to Bobby Flay. Yes. Back to Bobby Flay. No more. Ch- he would he would be offended by my chocolate water story. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like Mike saying that they're conspiring against him is so hopper. Yeah. In Susie, do you copy? Yes. Oh, my God. It is. <laughs> These two are cut from the same cloth. No wonder they don't get along. No wonder they don't get along. And for some reason, no wonder Elle likes them both. Mm-hmm. Like, they're so similar That's and funny. they butt heads. They do. Because they're both like, when when Elle is with Mike, Hop is like, they're conspiring against me. Mm-hmm. And when Elle is with anybody but him, like Max, for example, he's like, oh, sh- they're conspiring against Like, yes. not everything is about you guys. Right? Please calm down. Not everybody has the energy to conspire against you. Right. You're not that important. Either of you. Neither of you. That's right. Back in the Russian elevator shaft, Dustin tries to radio for help with no avail. They are innocent children trapped in Starcourt Mall. The Red Army has infiltrated Hawkins. Steve joins him on top of the elevator because he's got to pee. Erica attempts to break the canister full of green goo because she's thirsty, but she is interrupted when the door to the elevator finally opens up. The four hide on the roof watching as two men unload some of the boxes. Just as the door is about to close, Steve jumps down and jams the green canister between the door and the floor, holding it open just enough for them to shimmy underneath. The four make their escape, and as the door closes, it crushes the canister and releases the goo, which proceeds to erode the floor beneath it. Delicious. 
Hmm. Before them, a long hallway looms. Steve calls Dustin roast beef, and the four begin their journey. The first thing that I had was about the Red Army because of our little color symbolism situation happening this season. Oh. I was like, oh, okay. So according to the Britannicas, the Red Army was a Soviet army created by the communist government after the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. It was one of two main armies fighting for control of Russia during the Russian Civil War. The other army was the White Army. Oh. Yeah. And the Red Army ultimately won the war. So even though the Red Army was abandoned in 1946, like long before Dustin makes this random reference, mm -hmm. it does make sense why he would use the reference in 1985, because the Red Army was ultimately the one who seized control of Russia. Okay. And then I also mentioned that I feel like the communication theme that we brought up in our season three overview, I was just reminded of it because of Dustin's code reds just constantly mm. failing yes and there were a couple things that we didn't really mention so we're also seeing joyce and hopper struggle to communicate with alexi true yeah we didn't mention that we did mention murray translating but we didn't mention the initial like language issue i think we're also seeing jonathan and nancy's communication issues which we did not mention somehow <laughs> yeah how did that happen yeah and then i think with like our little five some of children here we're seeing issues with communication as well so mm. we had mentioned like the relationship issues so between max and lucas and mike and l but we didn't mention like mike and will like mm. not communicating effectively either true because they're butting heads a lot too they are and then last but not least why can robin see steve's pee from inside of the elevator i guess it's open in the back is it open to the wall? Yeah, I guess so. It has to be. Why would the elevator have an open... Maybe if you... Why? I just... I've never been in an elevator that one side was open to the the elevator shaft. Yeah. Wait. Now that I'm remembering, when they get Erica to go into the, the vent, that means there's an opening in the elevator for the vent. So maybe that's where the vent came in? But also, why would there need to be a vent in there if there's, like, oxygen, obviously? Like, it's open. Is it climate control? You're right. <laughs> because th this is the room that she crawled into mm -hmm. from the vent. Right. So there's definitely an opening for the vent. And, yeah, my only guess for that would be that they need to keep it climate controlled in there with that goo. Okay. So you're saying that the reason why the back of the elevator itself is open to the shaft wall is because that's where the vent would have fed out from. I think. And they need the vent to feed into that space to keep the goo temperature controlled. That's my theory. I really don't know. Okay. I just thought it was odd. Like, I've never been in an elevator where you weren't in a capsule. Mm hmm That you could... You, I don't see the walls of the elevator shaft in the elevator. No. No. I have been in an elevator before. You know those old-fashioned elevators where there's, like, a door first? That you have to open and yes. then the elevator yes. doors. So, like, I've been in an elevator like that where, like, the sides are kind of open, but it's, like, iron, like, venting kind of. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, like, metal. Okay. But you can sort okay. of see out, but it's not, like, wide open. Like, you can't. No, you, that's the wall. Yeah, you couldn't just, like, crawl out the hole. Like, it's it's closed in, but you can see out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why can Robin see his pee? Yeah, it's pretty gross. 
<laughs> also, how have the other ones not peed? It's been like, tw- where are they peeing? I was wondering that too. Like, have the other ones peed? And where are they doing that? Are they all it's doing been it? It's at least there? 12 hours. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Like, are Robin and Erica like squatting over the edge of the elevator to pee? Into I mean, the... they have to be, right? <laughs> they have to. I don't know. <laughs> no shot they haven't peed. Yeah, that's pretty gross. At the Wheelers, Nancy shares her findings with the kids. She shows them Mrs. Driscoll's gradually declining body temperature, and Will chimes in with a, he likes it cold. (laughs) Mike grills Nancy on what time the incident with Mrs. Driscoll occurred the previous night. Nancy tells him 9 p.m., to Jonathan's surprise, and Will shames his brother for not being with Nancy. LOL. The group deduces that the sauna test was occurring at the same time as Mrs. Driscoll's incident. Mike coins the term flayed, and the kids and teens reason that Billy, Mrs. Driscoll, and Heather have joined this MF's pyramid scheme. Hey, girl. When Elle reveals who Heather is, Nancy and Jonathan realize that Tom also must be flayed. The gang piles into Nancy's station wagon and embark on another adventure. Is this what Nancy saw in the chart? The declining temperature. Yeah. Very possible. And then she commandeered the medical records of this woman and brought them to a random yes, civilian's home. That's got to be a felony. <laughs> she took this woman's medical records from her hospital room and brought them to her house. That is 100% some sort of major crime. <laughs> Ma'am? Like, that is a HIPAA violation if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Please return my grandma's medical records to her hospital room. Although apparently HIPAA only applies to like actual medical professionals. So I don't think a, a civilian could technically violate HIPAA, but I'm pretty sure that's still a felony. It's definitely still something you shouldn't be doing. Nope, doesn't seem right. You're probably correct though, but it's hard to say because if we, I would almost want to go back because the times were on, it was like every 30 minutes they rechecked her body temperature. Yeah. And if it wasn't from the night before, upon her checking in, there would be no reason for that to be what she saw right. on the record. Yeah. I want to go, I'm, I might go back and check to see like, what were the, because it was like 10, 1036, yeah. 1030, 95. Yeah. So it was that 1030 PM the night before, in which case that still wouldn't make sense because that would have been before 9 PM. No, it has to be. No, no, no. It's Well, that would be after 9 p.m. if it was like 1030 the, the night before, because it couldn't be from that morning because she called Jonathan at like 6 a.m. But if it was from 10 p.m. the night before and Nancy was there at 9 p.m., it wouldn't be on the chart yet. Oh. So it couldn't be what she saw on the chart. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. You're right. I don't know. Yeah. I Googled it also because 95 didn't seem that low to me, but I Googled it and hypothermia occurs below 95 degrees. Yeah, you are not supposed to be that cold. No. As it turns out, 95 is when hypothermia starts. Not not ideal. Yeah. So it must have been real weird for them when she was, you know, going that low and not really displaying signs of hypothermia. Oh, very true. Yeah. I love all of the men just getting absolutely roasted. Like... <laughs> Will is like you weren't there like you (laughs) left her alone (laughs) and Jonathan's like well I'm here now I know I love that Nancy say Will shames hallelujah yes and then Lucas having been experienced in relationships he recognizes that hallelujah from Nancy and is like ooh, yeah yeah Lucas is so emotionally aware he is he's he's underneath his silliness and stuff he's like surprisingly emotionally intelligent he is very emotionally intelligent yeah like even and and i think even with his shenanigans he knows their shenanigans like he's well yeah. he's well aware that he's screwing up and and he he does always seem to take accountability for his screw up so like 
even though Lucas and, and Max do have, like, their relationship issues, it seems like Lucas is really good at taking accountability. He is. And I feel like he he also knows relationship dynamics. Yes, very well. Like, yeah, like, later on when the vending machine thing happens yes. and he's like, that's your in. And Mike's like, what? Yeah. Mike like is clueless. Like, you're all a branch, dude. Like, <laughs> I know. And it's it's really interesting to see that play out because, like, we can see Lucas has a ton of experience. Not only does Lucas have a ton of experience in a relationship himself, but he mm. has excellent role models at home. Yes. Yeah. So we get to see that actually play out because he's yeah. the only one with, with a good marriage to watch. And also the only one with a solid father figure. Mm-hmm. Dustin has no father figure. Ted is a noodle. Um, Will. Will has no father figure. Elle is like patchwork father figures. Is that everybody? Lucas is the only one mm-hmm. with a father figure. That's wild. And even even Steve, like, he definitely does not have His strong... dad's a great A asshole. Yeah, he does not have strong parental figures of any kind. Right. And we don't know about Robin, but she fell a lot and on her head when she was a baby so i'm gonna say probably <laughs> gonna assume not parents were like very absent i don't know <laughs> seems like not a thing you do when you're a present parent but okay oh my god uh. i feel like this is also not the first time but one of the first times that we're really seeing the kids and the teens collaborate mm. yeah because in season one it doesn't happen at all nancy and jonathan and steve are off doing their own things yeah Will is absent. <laughs> he is occupied. <laughs> he is occupied. And then in season two, the only collaboration we get is until the very end, right? Yeah. Yes. And it only starts, I think, when Steve finds Dustin mm-hmm. at the Wheelers. Yes. Yeah. And that's the only time, or that's the only reason that the teens and the kids start collaborating. Yeah. So this is like one of the first times that we're seeing like a real collab. Yeah, and the, and one of the first times when we see, like, both parties be like, oh, we need to clue in the other parties. Yes, like, we need to keep... The, and it's like Will... It's like Nancy calling and wanting to talk to Will. It's like it's like they're, like, unlikely animal friends, Yes, too, I know. That made, me, that made me smile when she said, let me talk to your brother. I was like, could you imagine this conversation? Like, <laughs> what, would they, like hey. what would Will and Nancy say to each other? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just have one more thing. Mm-hmm. When Nancy backs up out of the driveway, they make a point to show that she knocks <laughs> over all of their bikes. Yeah. It just feels symbolic. Like, these are not children anymore. Uh, Nick's the bikes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just like, why make a point to show it? Yeah, I really like that. Because we don't get a lot of bike action anymore after this. In season three, they, like, abandoned the bikes. Completely. They start taking the bus. Yeah, and season four, there's a point made to reintroduce the bikes. Yes. You get that, like, the teens riding the bikes in the upside down. Oh, yeah. And the kids riding the bikes in Hawkins and the flip yeah. of oh, the camera. So oh, it's so good. I know. I just got chills. <laughs> yeah, I know. Same. <laughs> God, we're losers. I can hear the music, <laughs> too. too. Right? And enough. Enough. <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. Simmer down. We don't have enough content to start talking about that now. <laughs> Please. <laughs> In the woods, the Terminator finds Hopper's exploded truck and begins following their tracks. 
Hop and Joyce, who all of a sudden hate each other for some reason, argue over their failed date. Alexi takes advantage of their idiocy and decides to flee. Hop chases him down, only to find that he had noticed a nearby 7-Eleven and wanted to go inside. <laughs> don't know why that's so funny. How did he see it? I don't know. <laughs> the three chug sodas buy a pack of camels, and Alexi gets intimate with the Slurpee machine. <laughs> He's using the two yeah, fingers he is. I know. that you need to like, use. When you said that, I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> Alexi casually finger- fingers the Slurpee machine. <laughs> he does. <laughs> like, why are you doing it like that? <laughs> use your hand. You have three other fingers. Right. Or use just, your pinky and your thumb. Or your palm. Like, when you're brushing yeah. your teeth and you use your palms to, like, you know, slurp up some water you know yeah or like when you splash water on your face like in like a maybelline commercial of course and the water definitely doesn't go everywhere and ruin your day (laughs) exactly get it together alexi (laughs) take out your sexual frustrations (laughs) elsewhere (laughs) as he's checking out hop notices a car pull up for gas he approaches the car with alexi in cuffs shows the man who is named todd his badge and proceeds to fabricate a story Alexi, who is now in the backseat enjoying his Slurpee, is a serial killer who has murdered many children. <laughs> Him and Joyce are detectives, and they need to commandeer his vehicle to transport this dangerous criminal. See you later, Todd. <laughs> or should I say the Todd father? The Todd father. <laughs> Why is that his license plate? I don't know. Fuck this guy. But I kind of want one. <laughs> what would it say? The Todd father. <laughs> Your name is not Todd. But it's great. It's iconic. I love it. Oh my god. <laughs> Why does Joyce say forger? <laughs> forger. <laughs> I also feel like we were talking about them being like out of character. Mm-hmm. Why is Joyce all of a sudden acting stupid? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I like when she tries to stand casually and she just looks like she has scoliosis. Yeah, like what? <laughs> I just again it just it feels out of character yeah again right it's like I don't know it's weird it's very weird and I love when <laughs> she gets in the car and and he's like child murderer and she's like child murderer child murderer <laughs> <laughs> oh. it is cute though how she does find a moment to call Karen on the payphone mm. to check on Will yes and they're at the movies no they're not apparently they're Karen. at the movies Karen Wheeler. What is Karen's middle? Karen. Ann. Ann Wheeler. That just feels right. I don't know. Yeah. Karen Ann Wheeler. I also like to think Alexi wasn't running away. He was definitely just trying to lead the two dummies to civilization before they all 100%. get killed. <laughs> yes. He was not running away. I don't think so at all. No. I think, I, I think like is said in, in the next episode, I think Hopper says, Hopper's very confident that Alexi's not going to run away because mm. he's basically like a traitor of the state now. It would be dangerous right. for him to run away. And he was right. So I, mm-hmm. I think Alexi knows that already, that he's, he's kind of stuck with these people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't think he was running away. Mm-mm. He just saw a convenience store. And he's like, I'm hungry and I want to like, touch a Slurpee machine. And then- <laughs> Inappropriately. <laughs> Dustin, Steve, Robin, and Erica are making their way down the long Russian tunnel, discussing the tunnel's purpose and Prometheum. Erica calls them all nerds and Steve insists that he is not a nerd. Don't lump them. Don't lump him in with them. Okay. Robin wonders why they'd be building something of value in Hawkins. And Dustin and Steve privately theorize that it could have something to do with the gate. The Russian code starts to transmit over the walkie-talkie again, and Robin realizes that they must be able to broadcast to the surface, giving them a way to send an SOS. 
I don't know if I forgot to say this earlier, but doesn't this whole Russian bunker tunnel system look like when you're waiting online for a ride at like Disney World? <laughs> And you have all of, like, the fake... The theming. The theming and, like, the fake-looking technology. Like, mm-hmm. It looks like it Space just Mountain. Re- it does. Like, it just reminds me of, of all of that. Of all of that. Like, a Disney ride. <laughs> Damn it, we mentioned Disney again. <laughs> well, the only reason it's relevant is because Robin's... What does she say? She says she, something about how this is a, a toilet on the way to Disneyland oh, yeah. oh, in, her, right. in reference to Hawkins. And I thought about that and was like, why would you be on your way to disneyland from the i don't know why would you because drive disneyland through... is in california right but why would you drive through there i mean i guess it depends where you're coming from right yeah like if you're coming from like ohio i guess you would be going through there i was gonna say yeah. why wouldn't you go to disney world but in... i don't think it was open yet actually in what year did disney world open sometime in the 80s i forget or, no, Why no. We keep talking about no, this. I uh, know it was up. It was Epcot that opened the eighties. I think Disney World opened long before seventy one. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know why would one wouldn't go to Disney World if if they were coming that direction. But whatever. Mm. Whatever, Robin. Yeah. You make a good point, regardless. Hmm. What is Hawkins really? I know. Uh, so I know Marina has some things to say about this whole Prometheum conversation. But I did want to um, talk about Prometheum in real life first. And I only had like one quote, but I just had to Google what the heck Prometheum even is. And I must say, if you Google it, it looks a lot like what is in those canisters. Oh. Yeah. So I think Dustin might actually be right because it says on rsc.org, a little Prometheum is used in specialized atomic batteries. These are roughly the size of a drawing pin and are used for pacemakers, guided missiles, and radios. Promethium is an element on the periodic table, and uh, I do believe it is actually corrosive, which makes sense because it is in batteries. So, yeah, we do see later, we do get confirmation that these things are powering the machine. So I'm pretty sure it is Promethium. Yeah, it very much has that, like, acidic-looking green color to it. Baja Blast green, if you will. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is very accurate. Right? It's like the exact color of Baja Blast. So if Erica did actually succeed in opening up the canisters, all she would have had was just some Baja Blast to drink. I don't think she would have had a Baja Blast. You don't know that. She would have had a Baja bad time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> You got to coin that one? Yes. I would like a bumper sticker that says, I'm having a Baja bad time. That's what happens when you put too much vodka in your Baja blast. Yeah. You have a Baja bad time. You do. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to not talk about the Baja men as well. We're going to move on. Who let the dogs out? We still don't know. Who? Who, who? i'm not gonna go into this now because we decided not to but i do want to mention that we are going to talk about victor stone because obviously dustin makes that reference and her and him and robin talk about cyborg Mm -hmm. um we're going to talk about this in an upcoming episode it is so good and it's killing me but i'm not going to talk about it right now but we are going to talk about marvel and dc and all of our comic books in a couple of episodes, so I won't, I won't do it. Also, it just thundered. It's very spooky, Ooh. spooky out here. 
Jonathan, Nancy, L, Mike, Lucas, Will, and Max. Oh my gosh. My God. Whole gaggle. <laughs> the whole gang's here. It's almost. Fagan and the gang. But yeah, there they are. <laughs> the gang. Arrive at the Holloways to find it void of human life. Inside, they find various types of chemicals sitting on the table, and Jonathan inquires if they're <clears throat> guzzling the shit. <laughs> Mike determines that the flayed are making a substance inside of themselves, which I would just like to say feels like a leap. What the fuck does that mean? I think he's correct, but I think that that was like, how did he jump to that conclusion? Yeah, because he would have had to have... These chemicals should be eating them from the inside out, which they are. They are. They are. That's what's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, I think also like they don't know yet about people melting sure so they they can't really jump to that conclusion yet so mike is like half right like they're short like they're drinking it for a reason to make yeah like soup mind flayer soup in there and then cauldron they just melt into mind flayer soup (laughs) they melt into goo and then become a monster i feel like we're seeing a lot of like erosion Mm -hmm. in this chapter because we get the baja blast eroding the floor (laughs) after the canister shatters the floorboards the floorboards (laughs) and then we also see how these chemicals have eaten away at this countertop when they walk in yeah okay i have a question about that so this looks like it might be like a fridge on its side or like some sort of appliance because there's like a metal panel in the back and it looks corroded and i don't think it's the counter it it looks like it has wires and stuff so i was i was like did they drink Freon or coolant? Oh, maybe they did. Yeah, that was that was my guess, but I don't know if anyone out there knows what this thing is. I think it's an appliance because it looks like it has wires, but it didn't look like a fridge to me because I feel like they, those normally have like the grates in the back, mm. but this didn't. So I don't know what it is, but my only other guess is when they go into the garage in the uh-huh. next scene, they do have one of those like chest freezers. Yes. So it might be that. Oh, maybe they had two. Maybe they had two for some reason. I don't know. They're rich. Whatever. No, that's a good point. I thought it was just a countertop. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I really tried to get a good look at it, but you only see it real quick. And it looks like there's a metal panel pulled away in the back and then, Mm. like, a wire. So, I don't know. Do refrigerators have that chemical in them? I think so. Or coolant or... I don't know what exactly it is, but there's definitely some sort of, like, chemical in there, I think. Let's Google it. Do refrigerator <laughs> Sorry, my keyboard's far away wow the first i typed in do refrigerate and the first the first suggestion was do refrigerators use freon oh yes every refrigerator needs freon freon oh. is used to keep the interior of your refrigerator cool and ensure your food is kept at the right temperature these they're guzzling freon i think so because he likes it cold he likes it cold he likes oh it cold. oh my god we did oh it. Oh, my we God. We figured it out. Wow. Guys, we did it again. We solved the case of the missing lifeguards. <laughs> again. How many cases of how many lifeguards part two. are there really? <laughs> Stay tuned for part three. Okay, but you're right. So I think I think it. I am, right? I think I, I think I discovered something. Dora the Explorer. <laughs> we did it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Still at the Holloways, Nancy notices signs of a struggle. She deduces that Tom was attacked, and the gang follows a trail of blood to the garage. We see a flashback of how the attack played out. 
Billy dragged an unconscious Tom to the garage, tied him and Janet up, and then Billy and Heather fled in their car with the Holloways knocked out. Nancy figures out that the flaying process is occurring somewhere, remembering Mrs. Driscoll screaming that she has to go back. She concludes that the Mind Flayer is operating from a specific location, a source, but they don't know where to look because Billy hid it from Elle when she entered his mind void. Will thinks they should honor Mrs. Driscoll's wishes. Let her go back and she'll lead him right to the source. So my not paying attention ass <laughs> never realized that this is why they end up back at the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, they're going back to get her. Where were they going to go with her? Were they just going to roll her out on her little hospital bed? And the lady at the front desk was going to let him? I don't think so. Yeah, don't, don't mind us. Just taking our grandma. She has to go back. Yeah. So we just... <laughs> We're taking her back where we don't know. She's going to tell us. We're signing her out. Yeah. She's just going to lead the way, Grandma. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining them, like, unhooking her from all of her monitors. Where is she? Very true. Okay. Right? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah, We didn't get there yet. Um, I also feel like this is kind of an an out-of-the-ordinary format for this show. We don't very right. We don't normally get like spoon-fed information like this. Thank you. Yeah, it's bizarre. I wrote. There's so much exposition in this chapter. Yeah, it feels slow. Right. Like, where you're right. Like there is there is a spoon feeding going on. Mm-hmm. It's weird. We don't normally see. And again, again, not. I'm sure she's a wonderful director, but this is a different director for the show. And this is another way that the show kind of feels different in this episode. It does. And I wonder if this is partially why the viewers didn't connect as much with season three, because this is the lowest rated season. Oh, I didn't know that. It is. It totally is. (laughs) Yeah. On um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got the lowest ratings and I'm pretty sure on IMDb. People did the season did not resonate with everybody. Yeah, like we love it. I do. I do. Same, but yeah, I think it's because no, no offense. Uta. I just think there was a disconnect because you're absolutely right. It's just too expository. It's like stop telling me. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. And show me and show me. Like maybe not having. I I don't know. I liked the piece where they were in the garage, like, talking it out. That feels very classic Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Like, when Elle makes the connection, she's like, he didn't want me to see it. That makes sense. Like, I thought that part was good. But when we get the interspersed flashbacks of what Mm -hmm. happened, I just thought that was an odd format. Like, I think it would have even made sense to have Elle somehow be able to, like, channel what happened or deduce what happened Mm. instead of us just seeing it. And the other problem with that is, like, okay, now we know, but they don't know. The group doesn't know exactly what happened. They're just kind of assuming. Yeah, yeah, that's really fair. And I think, too, like, I even had the thought, like, do we use flashbacks? And it's not that we don't. We just don't use them in this context. Yeah, not like, like this. No, we, we see flashbacks of Hopper and Sarah. We see flashbacks of Will going through X, Y, and Z that Will goes through yeah. and when he's having his PTSD flash. Like, we see flashbacks in those contexts. We don't see, like, these types of narrative flashbacks where it's like showing us an event that occurred i think that's the difference they're using a flashback in this sense to show us something that none of our characters even know like yeah when we see flashbacks of will's life when he was a kid Mm -hmm. and hopper's life 
they it's coming from their brain they lived it right where we're just see, we're, it's a flash it's a literal flashback yeah, right it's a literal flashback this is like coming from thin air where is this coming from whose brain is this coming from yeah that's that's it because it just you're right it feels totally out of character mm-hmm. for the show I like agree. what what are we doing what are we doing it's weird what are we doing yeah. put it back thanks I just wanted to mention that I appreciate the attention to detail in this scene, you know, despite all the gripes that we just aired. <laughs> yes. The cookies that Heather brought out are still on the table yes. with two missing. Mm-hmm. The wine spill is on the tablecloth. So is the bottle of chloroform with the top twisted off. And I also wanted to mention that this dining room table reminds me of the dining room table in Chrissy's vecna vision oh yeah yeah the one that's got all the flies and like the rotting food on it yeah and yeah we already talked just like a tiny bit about how the holloway household and the cunningham household felt very similar yes so and i would go out on a limb and say the creel household yeah as well Mm -hmm. Ooh, Mm -hmm. spooky yeah which is like again like oh my god we've been on the scene for so long but whatever whatever who cares this is our show um that's why we're here hello (laughs) so (laughs) it just makes me think like it brings up the question again of like what came first the the mind flayer or the vecna or the henry because (laughs) or the vecna yeah because we mentioned this in a previous episode where it almost feels intentional that these families are targeted Mm -hmm. like they're outwardly these shiny happy families oh big thunder where you would never imagine that anything bad would happen so it feels intentional almost that these families are chosen for these horrible things to happen in secret yeah and also it really illustrates the point beyond beyond these horrible things happening to the family horrible things were already happening behind closed doors Mm -hmm. in these families like you have chrissy's mom right berating her about her weight Mm -hmm. and then you have janet and tom who clearly have a dysfunctional marriage yeah so it just yeah it just feels like a very good illustration that you just never know what is going on yeah behind closed doors so true also i just wanted to say before we wrap up the scene that this is extremely nancy drew the whole thing yes yeah it really is following the clues and the and the commentary about each of the clues Mm -hmm. when she picks up the wine bottle and she's like he was attacked Again, though, like, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know. Why, why are we doing that? What? Wait, what are, we, what are we doing? Like, it just goes back to what we were saying about, like, the exposition. Like, he was attacked. Uh, like, right, uh, I know. Again, right. It's, like, kind of, like, yeah, duh. Like, there's blood on the floor and a broken wine bottle. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very, it's very spoon-fed. Mm-hmm. Good point, though. Nancy Drew. Yeah. Grigori tracks Hop, Joyce, and Alexi to the 7-Eleven. How? Where- Do they have those things that Apple gives out little like air tags? Air tags on them. How is he? If he how is he tracking them? So if it, I just we do see him when he finds the car, he leans down into the dirt and he sees footsteps. So yes, he's he's a good tracker. He's a bounty hunter. He knows what he's doing. Um, True. And he stops there for some much-needed sweet treats after noticing Todd hollering about his car being stolen. The cashier tells Grigori that some psycho stole Todd's car, but when the cashier refuses to give more information, Grigori interrogates him by smushing his face into the aforementioned sweet treats. At least he had a pillow. Yeah, and I love that. I don't know if this was intentional or if I'm reaching, but he grabs snowballs. (gasps) He does. That was a good choice, I think. Yeah, little pink snowballs. Mm -hmm. I googled the Soviet Union again. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Just like as a whole. <laughs> well, because Ricky, Ricky, who's our cashier, yes, calls Grigori Khrushchev. Yeah. <laughs> so I Googled that. I was like, who is this man? He was the first secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and premier of the Soviet Union from 1958 to 1964. Thank you. You're welcome. Nikita Khrushchev. I also think it's it, it was a good touch i mean i wasn't there in the 80s so i don't know but i think it's a good touch that pretty much everybody in the american society is like oh, a russian and then they have to like point it out yeah like now it's just like yeah like people of all ethnicities are around yep. and yep. that's normal yep, yep, yep. but mm-hmm. but back then we were like apparently allowed to just like be prejudiced and it's also just goes to show because i when i was reading about russia for a lot of this episode there was a lot about like the propaganda and everything and how that's two-sided mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like russians weren't the only one being fed propaganda like the united states was also being fed propaganda yeah so yeah and i would just like to say i am marrying into a entire family of russian-speaking ukrainians and they are wonderful people khrushchev yep all of them apparently <laughs> <laughs> yeah no my in-laws are great hop joyce and alexi finally reach murray's they ring his bell, and Murray asks them to identify themselves on his ring doorbell, of course. Jim, yes. Jim Hopper, Joyce Byers, and Smirnoff. Alexi calls Murray a bald American pig before he <laughs> decides to let them in. Murray metal detects them and deflects Hop's questions because he dragged an enemy of the state into his home. Joyce and Hop bicker about Murray's eccentricity, but Murray isn't having it, and these two need to move their lover's quarrel elsewhere. Joyce, who is absolutely fed up with everyone's shit, demands that Murray translate Alexi's Russian and figure out why her magnets keep falling <laughs> off her damn fridge. <laughs> that was good. Thank Thanks, Winona. No Today on this podcast, we have Winona Ryder Here I am. with us. <laughs> this is my favorite Joyce, by the way. My, it is a good Joyce. My favorite genre of Joyce Byers is just her being fed up. <laughs> it's my favorite. I hate to hear Hop attack her mm-hmm. when he says, what does he say? Glass houses, Joyce? Okay, I, I wrote something about that. He says basically like the pot calling the kettle black. Yes. When, when she is kind of saying that Murray is a little too out there. Right. And I kind of love that he says that about her, but then, you know, obviously that's not cool to say. But mm-hmm. then she just sort of goes back and like matches Murray's level of out there-ness and it, mm-hmm. and it works. It does work. It's effective. It is super effective. It is. And I think what sucks, though, too, is, again, we think... I just want us to juxtapose this scene. And I do think part of this was to purposely make us feel that these two have this tension. And they're just bickering and going back and forth. And they're at each other's throats because they just want to bang, right? As you do. But if you... Obviously. (laughs) If you contrast this scene with... Think of season one. When after they find the body and Joyce is sitting there in like a stupor and Hop gets on her level and is like talking to her very tenderly. Yeah. It's just two completely different versions of these two right. as a couple. It's very odd how, how they've swung completely in such an, a different direction. Yeah. Like since when does Hopper attack Joyce's rationality? I know. Like he knows her very well. He knows that she is smart and capable and has been right about pretty much everything. Everything. So I don't know where he's getting off, like attacking her like that. When, okay, really? If he's going to be the, or say that she's the pot calling the kettle black, then he's the whole damn stove. Okay. Yeah. Get out of here. For real. Joyce and Nancy. 
believe, they just yeah they, they know what they're doing they know what they're doing everybody yeah Back in the Russian bunker under Starcourt, Steve, Robin, Erica, and Dustin come upon a hub of activity that is bustling with soldiers and scientists. Erica claims that she saw the comms room, and the four decide to take those odds and go for it. They stealthily maneuver their way around the hub until they reach the comms room, which houses a Russian man. He almost draws his weapon, but Robin tells him to tread lightly in Russian. (laughs) He doesn't understand, though. So Robin throws out another word from her newly developed Russian vocabulary china <laughs> also silver cat like yeah. what? silver cat. why are you just saying silver cat <laughs> the man's just like what is happening <laughs> the man goes to draw his gun again but steve screams and lunges at him he manages to knock the man out with the intercom ow Ro- erica and dustin bicker as robin discovers the giant machine behind a nearby door which is slowly but surely tearing open a new gate this is another big stretch for me. <laughs> they were Which part? All, really all of it. Okay, the whole thing. Guys, this whole episode is just a stretch. No, like this scene in particular, though. Like, okay, the four of them, uh-huh. just random teenagers, uh, mm. show up in uh-huh. this giant bunker. Not one person sees them nope. in the wide open hallway. Mm-mm. And then they manage to run across all of these people and get in the room. Uh huh. And again, no one sees them. Uh-huh. I, I just, I can't. They then just. I'm just gonna add. Yeah, on please to keep this. going. They proceed to knock out and disarm the man mm-hmm. who is wielding a gun. Right. And it just so ha- it just so happens, everyone, everyone that immediately off of this comms room is a door that leads to the room where the key is and then they're all posted up in the windows and nobody <laughs> sees no them no one sees them no one sees them out of the corner of their eye no one turns around nothing these all them all these men they need to go get their peripheral visions yeah. checked because there are yeah. four children yeah. in your bunker staring at your machine yeah y'all have a bit of a security problem in here just a bit yeah and yep 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 oh you know even even erica being like i saw the comms room how she just did okay she's got x-ray With, yeah, vision yeah like x-ray vision like how she just got a she got a quick glance at i i don't know i agree yeah it's all kind of a stretch for me god in the machine yeah i also want to talk about what we were supposed to think was happening as first time viewers of this season mm-hmm. and that is steve and robin oh. as a potential romantic couple yeah because everybody close your eyes thank you i'm everybody (laughs) for now (laughs) hello everybody it's me just amanda (laughs) it is july 4th 2019 Mm -hmm. okay and you are all watching season three for the first time and you gotta you get to this scene when this Russian man draws his gun on Robin and Steve doesn't even blink, mm. he lunges at this man in the most unambiguous sign of true love. Wow. Like, we are meant to believe that these two, right, at this point, you can open your eyes. Oh, thank you. And that th- <laughs> <laughs> My eyes were closed that whole time. <laughs> we're just we're meant to believe that this is happening 
yeah i actually didn't really even think about that but you're right like that is uh i was gonna say that was like really brave of steve he just starts yelling (laughs) just goes for it and yeah you're right like i think we were supposed to think like okay steve is trying to get over nancy so here we are yeah and he's like slowly getting defensive of robin like nobody's gonna come at her you know yeah he's gonna defend her and again we know better now in hindsight Mm -hmm. you can't watch it after the first time and still feel this way of course but the first time you're like oh shit like he's kind of falling for her a little bit that he's willing to just lunge at this man with a gun and i mean you know we we can still see that steve seems to be thinking he's developing feelings for robin and that Mm. still may very much be true but she's not reciprocating it's kind of weird how all of that throughout this season like dustin like you got to spend the night with robin Mm -hmm. none of it aged well no None of that aged well. I know. Like them holding hands on the roof. Right. Really quick. And it's like kind of sad because you see like Steve is sort of coming around to this idea, but he has mm. no idea that that's just like an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also in this scene, we do get confirmation that the things are like the green stuff is yes. the fuel for the machine. They are plugging it into the sides of the machine. Yes. We were asleep. Yeah. Apparently. I also just Googled the movie Red Dawn because dustin says red dawn yeah like really quick it got terrible reviews (laughs) it is a movie that came out in 1984 and according to imdb it is about a group of teenagers who band together to defend their town and their country from invading soviet forces oh so literally just the plot of the season so the plot of season three everyone wow okay (laughs) yeah wow (laughs) inspiring it is excelsior (laughs) (laughs) our horde of teens and children arrive at the hospital to see their grandma mrs driscoll nancy driscoll i'm nancy driscoll (laughs) (laughs) after interrupting the woman at the front desk who is having a very important gossip sesh over the phone nancy and jonathan decide to go see mrs driscoll the two share an apology in the elevator jonathan admits that he was wrong but tells nancy not to let that go to her head She snarkily tells him that she looks forward to him never, ever doubting her again. And Jonathan smirks at her because she's a brilliant genius. Just the facts. It is. (laughs) This is, this is your family extended. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Lucas. Poor Lucas. (laughs) The woman, and she looks right at him too. She's like, I'm not buying it. You're not family, kid. Who are you? (laughs) What do you mean? Your long lost cousin. My grandma, Mrs. Driscoll. We look exactly alike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And I I love Natalia's smoky eye look. It's good. AKA her, like, haven't slept in 48 hours and wash off my eyeliner. Yeah, this poor poor girl. And it's only about to get worse. She has been in this outfit since she went to work the morning they got fired. In the sauna test. I love how we do this in these with this show is we're like, how long have these people been wearing these clothes? Because usually it's a really long time. Because <laughs> usually all of this is happening at once and it's a really long time. Like, listen, we all rewear like pajamas and stuff. OK, we're just mm-hmm. sitting around the house. These people are, mm-hmm. are fighting interdimensional monsters mm-hmm. and wearing the same clothes for several days. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's their uniforms. Yes. It's their seasonal uniforms. Like Steve and Robin, yeah. who we don't see. Exactly. We don't see out of the Scoops of Hoy uniform until the end of the last episode. 
<laughs> That's actually wild. Steve had one outfit this entire yep, season. Both Steve and Robin were wearing exactly one outfit this entire season. <laughs> the costume department was like, this is fantastic. This is real easy. <laughs> Still in the lobby, Mike and Lucas fight with a vending machine until Elle uses her powers to score them a ton of free candy. Lucas tells Mike that was his olive branch from Elle <laughs> to make up after their fight. But Mike is clueless and Lucas has to explain it to him like he's five. <laughs> Lucas is going to distract Max so Mike can talk to Elle. I just have a thing because there's just not a single scene that goes by in this chapter or I'm sorry, season that there's not a bottle of Coke or some kind of Coke. Mm. Coke product placement is rampant in this, it in is. this season. It is. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I remember the, the really old school vending machines behind them. Mm-hmm. Coke everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it was the 80s. It was the 80s and they clearly had a lot of Coke money. Of all kinds. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere in the 80s. All the coke. Yeah. <laughs> Any kind you can imagine. <laughs> That's what Tom was on. Yep. <laughs> right? Okay. Right? I have to go back and just say, like, Nancy was definitely on to something. That dude was definitely, definitely yeah. doing that before he got played. I just have to say, like, it must be really, there must be, like, you know, there's, of course, the motivation to want Mike and Elle to be together again and for their friends to be happy but there also must be the motivation of everyone in the group being like we need Elle and we need her to stop being sad and we need this Good to be point. fixed yeah <laughs> because this is a problem that's like when they get to the Holloways earlier on in this chapter and the door is locked and they all just look at Elle I wrote that down I didn't say it though but they all just turn around and they're like all right well we gotta break in so uh-huh all right girly <laughs> yeah do your thing do your powers. <laughs> In the eerily empty upstairs, Jonathan and Nancy make their way to Mrs. Driscoll's hospital room. Do they not notice that there's nobody on this floor? This is creepy as shit. It is so creepy. So creepy. They find her room vacant and all of the flowers that she was gifted have been toppled over. All of a sudden, a very sweaty, flayed Tom Holloway appears in the doorway saying Mrs. Driscoll has gone home. Yikes. Did she just check herself out? <laughs> There's no nurses. Where did she go? Did she jump out the window? Like, what, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Tom begins to slowly approach Nancy and Jonathan, but Jonathan grabs a vase and smashes him over the head with it. The two flee the room, but come upon a now-flayed Bruce Lowe in the hallway, who has a minor head injury. Owie. The veins in Bruce's face start to blacken just as Nancy and Jonathan turn to head for the stairwell. I need to burden you mm. to open my notes, Doc. Okay. Because I have a picture that I want you to see. Okay. So I don't know if you've seen Pet Cemetery. I feel like I have you. I feel like we watched it together, but I, like a really long time ago. I don't. Yeah, I might have like made you do that as some kind of weird. <laughs> I don't remember. Rite of passage. Yes. I don't know. But Bruce's special effects makeup in these scenes remind me of Victor Pascal from that movie. Mm. And in Pet Cemetery, he oh. this character suffers a fatal head injury, and he appears to like the lead dude as a ghost the whole time. He's actually the dude on the Pet Cemetery movie cover. Ew. And it just really reminds me of like the same kind of thing with like the blackened veins. He's got like blood streaking down his face. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Blonde hair. Yeah, I definitely see that. I, I would say that that feels safe to say there's some inspiration there. Especially because of the head injury. Like he makes a point to grab his head and says, Owie. In the exact same spot. In the exact same spot. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. Cool. That's all I got here. Besides where the fuck is everybody in this hospital? Yeah. So my guess is that like when they say that Mrs. Driscoll went home, 
they they liquefied her so she like slurped her way out of the hospital like a worm that's my only guess because how else did she get out this woman dissolved in her hospital room and wormied her way out of the hospital no she definitely didn't because we see her in in the next episode i think and we see her get liquefied in the next episode so how did she get out i don't know what where is everyone is everybody flayed did they flay everyone why are tom and bruce here why and why are they covered in blood what did they i'm confused did they injure all of the hospital workers single-handedly by themselves like i don't know i feel like it's not really clear what the heck happened here where are all the other patients yeah right like did did they all get did every patient get flayed like where and then if that's the case then why did only bruce and tom come after them where's everybody why do they else? stick around yeah they oh that's true they had to send them off to the source to go get flayed but how did they get i don't know there's a lot of questions here so many questions yeah. downstairs the kids are just having a great time playing <laughs> playing with some skittles mike sits down next to l and will gets up to leave because he doesn't want to be bothered with this lover's quarrel either although i think it's kind of cute that mike looks over to him and just sort of like gives mm-hmm. him a look and will is like yeah mm-hmm. okay mike asks l if her species likes m&ms and compliments her new look she smiles at him and takes an M&M. I haven't done any score stuff, but mm. the song playing here is First Kiss from season one. I knew I recognized it. Mm-hmm. So cute. Meanwhile, upstairs, Jonathan and Nancy are running for their damn lives. <laughs> they run past bloodied doctors, nurses, and patients who have all seemingly been killed as Bruce stalks them down in the hallway. Jonathan finds an intercom and attempts to call for help, but Nancy beckons him into a nearby room because she spots a phone. She locks the door behind them and attempts to use the phone, but no one picks up because the woman at the front desk is still clogging the line. And I just love the conversation she's having. She's like, I don't care how good her damn pie is. She is not coming to my house. I I tried to find her name, like who her name in the show. And she's just like hospital administrator. Like there is no name. That's unfortunate. She was, she was really good. Mm Mm-hmm. Bruce finds them and shatters the glass window on the door. He unlocks the door for himself and approaches the couple. Nancy goes to attack him, but he instead grabs Jonathan by the throat, headbutts him, and eventually tosses him across the room. Just as Bruce is about to beat Jonathan with a stool, Nancy grabs a pair of medical scissors and stabs him in the shoulder. Nancy flees the room as Bruce calls her a bitch and begins to pursue her down the hallway, forgetting about Jonathan. Bruce just casually hears Johnnying his way into this room here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He totally does that. Yeah. We do see, a, like you said in, in the summary, we do see like a patient by the stairwell door, like dead on the floor. And mm-hmm. So I'm guessing, yeah, they just went through this hospital and just like murdered a bunch of people with their bare hands. I don't know. Very con- you know what's also kind of strange, though? So like we pin this all on a mall fire, mm-hmm. right? All these people who are in this hospital, like, weren't their loved ones yeah. like, hey, where's my grandpa? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wondered this, too. We never get any sort of, like, clarification on how this was explained. Uh, yeah. I Like, where did I all the know. all the nurses, all the doctors, all the, everyone's dead. Everybody died in the mall fire? Or they're, they've, like, my guess is that they, like, were trying to beat these people into submissions so that they could take them to the source, but they just, like, uh-huh. killed a few of them okay that's that's my guess i don't know and then the people who were flayed end up dying in the mall fire which is you know but like what were they doing like weren't their loved ones like i'm sorry they were in the hospital and then they were at the mall what (laughs) (laughs) who 
who signed them out? Why are they at the mall? Did they get taken on a field trip to the mall? Like, what happened? <laughs> okay, all of our open heart surgery patients today, we're going to Starcourt Mall. Everyone on the bus. Oh, we're feeling up to it. It's like my my abuela lives in like a like a a home for like older people, and they take them on the little trolley to shop right like once a week. That's what they were doing. Oh goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, can we just talk about the rainbow on the receptionist mug? I did not notice that. Yeah, there's just a very overt rainbow on her mug. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, there's the rainbow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, yes. Nancy grabs the medical scissors, which is like a pretty good weapon, right? And in the previous scene, Jonathan grabbed a a vase, so yeah. it feels like that like trope reversal of the woman grabbing the household object versus the man yes. grabbing like a true weapon. I love that. Yeah, Jonathan grabbed a household object, and Nancy grabbed a weapon. Yeah, love that. fun. Now in the hallway, Nancy screams for help with Bruce on her tail. She grabs a fire extinguisher as the lights continue to flicker. Jonathan, who is painstakingly trying to get up after being beaten, is approached by Tom, who promptly begins a new assault on him. Nancy enters an eerie room full of curtained-off chambers, and Bruce continues to hunt her down, attempting to play Marco Polo with her. (laughs) Yikes. Sir, we are not in a pool. We are not in the water. His game fails, though, and Nancy appears from behind him and bashes him in the skull with a fire extinguisher. The impact also hurts Tom, who is about to stab Jonathan, because it's a hive mind, as we know. Nancy continues to beat Bruce, in turn also beating Tom, leaving Jonathan time to grab the scissors and stab Tom in the neck. Both men collapse, giving Jancy the briefest second to breathe. And I just gotta say, Nancy, I know that felt good. Yeah. Right? This man from- this man berated you, was uh-huh. sexist and awful. I just know that felt good. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about what else could be behind this besides just self-defense. Right? Like, yeah. In a way, I was like, oh, it's kind of a shame that she doesn't get to beat Tom to death instead. But, you know, mm. at, at least I just know that was cathartic a little bit. <laughs> it totally was. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just love when Nancy goes into this room and she's like panicking and looking around. There's a single tear that rolls down her cheek. And it was such a good touch. Her eyes, she looks wild. Like, yeah, like like Lord of the Flies. She looks like she's been thrown into the jungle oh my God. and is like <laughs> fighting for her life and just is absolutely like not human anymore in a way. Yeah, it's it's such a good like shot. It's like still of her. She's like yeah. in the one tier. Yes, I just love the one tier. So I have a technical question. Yes. So since this is a hive mind, right? When Nancy booped Bruce's snoot, um, which in turn booped Tom's snoot. Did that in turn boop Billy's snoot and all the other Flades snoots? Oh, that is a good question. Right? Did they all feel that pain? And yeah. and is it and is it a comparable pain or is it just like I sense a disturbance kind of pain? In the force, right? Okay. Like, maybe like with like radius is like a distance factor here. <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no Flade cell towers out by by Brimborn, so they didn't feel it. <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I'm like, Billy's just, like, minding his own business, like, flaying some people, and all of a sudden he's like, ow. Does that mean, like, the mind flayer felt it, too, in the Upside Down? Yeah. Like, I don't... Does Vecna feel it? That's a really good <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. I t- the Demobats, does everybody feel the boop of the snoot yeah. here? Like, what are... That's a really good question. Like, how can one feel it? How can they imply that? I just, I feel like we're uncovering a lot of, like, 
plot holes slash questions in this season and i don't like it because this is all right call it off yeah this is my favorite season and i'm I'm gonna still say it is but there's definitely a lot more like stretching that you have to do with the season than previous seasons i feel like but i don't know i agree yeah downstairs will notices and for some reason nobody else that the lights are flickering and the collapse bruce and tom begin to seize as nancy and jonathan both look on in horror all of a sudden tom and bruce's flesh begins to dissolve no actually the men's entire bodies begin to dissolve forming a slimy bubbly bloody puddle beneath them nancy and (laughs) so gross nancy and jonathan who are still separated watch this play out as the fleshy man goo puddles begin to squirm their way into the hallway this is quite a picture you've painted it's a picture to see (laughs) yep the couple leave their respective rooms following the puddles For a brief second, the hallway completely darkens with a single exit sign blinking overhead. When the lights flicker back on, we see that the fleshy goo puddles have now converged to form one massive goo skin spider monster, which bears its teeth and roars. I still can't believe what I said that I sent this to my boss as like the... (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, you did. This scene, I don't remember what my wording was, but I sent it to my boss. Wow. That's so true. You did. Embarrassing. I just remember seeing this particular scene in the the season three trailer and being like, oh my God. Oh shit. Like this is, this is going to be good. Yeah. This is, this shit's getting more real. It's also the first, I mean, no, that's a lie. I was going to say it was the first tangible creature, but the Demogorgon was tangible. Yeah. Eli told me that when the season three trailer first came out, he thought Billy was going to turn into this creature. He's the only one who doesn't. Right. Which is funny, right? Like, I was like, yeah, that's actually a great guess if Billy did melt at all. And he's the only one who didn't. Mm-hmm. He totally is. I feel like this monster is too large for the bodies that dissolve to create it. Yeah. Like, Tom and Bruce weren't that big. No. Like, this, the surface area. There's too much flesh here. Yeah, just to have come from only them. Yeah. Maybe. It's like the monster goo kind of like made its way to the hospital to go like defend them because they knew that they were like under attack. I don't know. I'm duty calls. I'm just like retconning. I don't know. But <laughs> like I like it. Yeah. Maybe like more monsters showed up to go assist. I don't know. Like the demo dogs in season mm-hmm. two. They've been called. They have been called. Yeah, yeah the boop of the snoop. Boop. Yeah. Oh, that would answer your question if that was the case. But hmm. we don't know because that's never explained to us. <laughs> we don't even see it visually. No. We just see the two goo puddles converge. And then that thing. And then that man. Man. Where does the next episode pick up? How do they get out of the hospital? I think it's it picks up literally with like this exact scene again. And then okay. like L fighting the thing. It's disgusting. Yes. I think this is the first true gore yeah we get from this show Mm -hmm. like Like, we don't really get gore like human gore yes but like what kind of gore do we get well we get like you know the upside down grossness the the demogorgons eating things like sure i guess that's gore the the goo the rats exploding earlier in the season yeah but we haven't really gotten like human blood and gore and guts and like body horror yeah like this is our first little foray into body horror until we get to mm. season four and then it just gets really much worse i wanted to just do one last thing 
before we close, I have all the scores, the songs that were playing during these hospital scenes. Ooh, cool. okay. Sick of Cow <laughs> from season two. Oh. He's here from season three. What did you do to him from season three? And our all-time favorite, Rats from season three, <laughs> all play during these wonderful scenes of hospital horror. Great. All right. Well, we made it through the scenes, so let's move on to our MVP. Bitchin'. Okay. Sure. Bitchin'. Who did you say? I said Nancy. Me too. Yeah, I don't know. Nancy just killed it. She solved the mystery again and again and again, Mm -hmm. and she was headstrong as usual, and she went to the kids to share the information and she drove and she got them there and she pieced it to Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Her bravery is kind of unmatched like always, but in this scene, I mean, listen, she might be obsessed with being right, but sometimes it is a really great quality to have to be Mm -hmm. just completely like unable to be moved from your current goal. Intuition. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Nancy for sure for this chapter. I agree. How about LVP? Losers? What losers? I have to give it to Hopper again. I just, I love Hopper. Do not get me wrong, but he is just failing utterly. Like, yeah. I just, I don't, and maybe it's just how he was written. I don't, or how, I don't know, but something is just not right. He's being weird. Mm-hmm. He's never come at Joyce yeah. like that. I, He's so obsessed with her dating men. It, like, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. I, I actually gave it to both of them. <laughs> I said Jopper. Hopper and Joyce? Yes, I said Jopper. Oh, I love that. Jopper. Yeah, I just feel like they were just doing the most this episode for no reason. Like, <laughs> like, at no, like, listen, I, I do think Hopper was kind of the worst offender here. But at no point did Joyce be like, are you serious right now? Like, this is yeah. this is your concern? Like, shut mm-hmm. up. Yeah, that never happened. And, and Joyce, Joyce kind of played into it. And I don't think she should have. So I'm giving it to both of them. And again, it's very much like like Mike. Like, Will being like, she dumped your ass. Why are you still focusing yes. on this? Like, this isn't the point right now. Like, Hopper, get over it, man. Mm-hmm. She stood you up. It sucks. I know. But that is not even close to the most important thing to worry about right now. I wonder if, like, part of it was to make him dying more painful at the end. Because you're like, they spent so much time mm. on this negative yeah. stuff. This se- like, maybe part of it was, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Fix either. it. Yeah gotta get better okay now for our favorite segment of season three <laughs> mall rat moments here we go that's totally against the rules i make my own rules so for this <laughs> for this mall rat moment we are running out of content because because <laughs> we were really boring kids and teenagers i would just like we to were say. not mall rats we were not <laughs> well we were we were but we were but not in that way <laughs> We weren't naughty. No, we weren't. We were very good kids. <laughs> so I've mentioned before on here that growing up, my parent was definitely a little more strict. And so there was a lot of stuff that I was not allowed to do that Marina was allowed to do. 
grounded all the damn literally time. grounded all the time and i would again like to reiterate as a 30 year old now i can still look back and say i was not a bad kid at you all you really did nothing i did nothing <laughs> i didn't have a sip of alcohol until i went to college uh, <laughs> like, yeah which is like yeah. right i whatever so anyway there was a specific concert that was coming up that marina and i really wanted to go to and it was and we're gonna age ourselves with this one it was the blink 182 reunion tour and which like is happening right again? now but yeah <laughs> this was how many reunion tours is blink 182 gonna have this was apparently the first one i don't know so um yeah we really wanted to go and fallout boy and panic at the disco were both opening with them or co-headlining with them i forget something like that um but anyway marina was signing up for a meet and greet with panic at the disco at this concert and <laughs> aka the two remaining members yeah, at the time right um my aunt said if marina wins the meet and greet then you can go and guess what happened <laughs> marina won the meet and greet it really happened because nobody signed up right. except Just us, us. <laughs> so uh yeah she won and so we got to go and we got there super early. They told us to get there like several hours early to, to do the meet and greet because it was supposed to happen before the concert. And hours were passing and we were sitting outside and this was like a two hour, at least a two hour drive from us. It was a long drive. So we, we had been going at it all day and we kept checking Twitter, I think. I think Twitter was around by then. I don't know. But we were checking whatever social media we could to try to figure out what was going on. And it turned out that something happened with their flight or something. And the meet and greet actually ended up being canceled. So we drove all that way, waited all that time. And the meet and greet ended up getting canceled. But it was fine because we were still there. After that, we took a break during blink 182 set and we went down to see if any of the concession stands were open and we saw this giant crowd by this gate and we were trying to figure out what was going on so we like pushed our way up there to try to see what was happening and it turns out that the drummer from panic at the disco spencer was out there and he was talking to fans and so was joe the guitarist from fallout boy and yeah, we talked to them. It was awesome. And I even got Spencer to sign this little like collage that I had made. Oh my God. And I remember that. Yeah, I made this little like purple collage. Spencer signed it, uh, Joe signed it, and he signed it, Abraham Lincoln loves you. I don't know why, oh. and I still have it. And then Spencer brought it back to the tour bus and got it signed by Brendan Urie for me. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, it was really, really nice. And I still have that somewhere in my stuff. And uh, it was a very, cherished memory i'm pretty sure my aunt might have thought we were lying about winning the meet and greet but it was real i remember too when their bodyguard-esque person came out to tell us that there would be no meet and greet yes. he promised that we could go to a future meet and greet <laughs> remember that? i was like do i get like a a paper right like <laughs> is this just like a, how do i cash out on this future meet and greet with panic at the it's disco a handshake agreement i don't know <laughs> we both spit into our palms <laughs> and we shook on it oh my god bring it back yes yeah I, that was a really fun day marina's dad used to take us to concerts all the time that was august 9th yes of oh nine i'm trying to figure out the was it oh nine it might have been oh eight actually no no oh eight was this is so funny, but I remember that two, August 9th, 2008 was my sweet 16. 2009. Yeah. You're right. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, it was 2009, which by the way, yeah. I would like to just make it clear for everybody that I was two days away from turning 17 and my aunt said no. 
<laughs> oh my God. It was also a Sunday. Was it really? <laughs> but it was summer. Oh yeah, it was summer. So so it didn't matter. We didn't have school the next day. I don't know, man. <laughs> I was about to be like, it was a school night. Wow, we are so wild. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, so that's our mall rat moment story. It's really not that exciting, but we're kind of well, we're kind of running out of fun stuff we ever did. <laughs> we have nothing else to say. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoy that about us—that we are actually really lame. And yeah, that is the end of the Bobby Flayed, the Bobby Flayed <laughs> restaurateur <laughs> and Food Network host, the Bobby Flayed TV chef extraordinaire. <laughs> Thank you so much, all of you, for listening again. And uh, I just want to real quick shout out our friend Rhea because mm. they've been listening. They've been going back and, and listening to all of our content and commenting on a lot of our stuff. And So true. Um, yeah, we really appreciate that. And uh, really just shout out to all of you out there who are super interactive with us on Instagram. We really love it. Personally, it makes me feel famous. So. <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> you should have told them about when you thought somebody at trader joe's knew who you were from oh. the podcast <laughs> okay i can tell the story real quick please tell real, it real quick real quick before we, we before we wrap up so last christmas em- embarrassing it is embarrassing last Le- yeah last christmas i had two sweatshirts made for me and marina that say starcourt study hall podcast on them and no, we do not have merch yet. We're, yet. we're working on it. But yeah, I just had them made for me and her. And about like two weeks ago, I went to Trader Joe's and I was wearing the sweatshirt because <laughs> it's it's June in New Jersey. And for some reason, we have to wear sweatshirts outside. Well, now it's July, but whatever. So <laughs> in the store, <laughs> one of the workers came up to me and he was like, excuse me, this is kind of weird. And before he finished the sentence, I was like... <laughs> Oh my god, it's happening. Like, oh my gosh, he's gonna ask about Starcourt Study Hall because he sees it on my shirt. And then he finished the sentence and was like, Are you Caitlin's sister? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Caitlin's sister. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, Oh my gosh, you guys look so much alike. And I was like, Mm hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Actually, I'm Amanda from Starcourt Study Hall. Anyway, do you want an autograph? <laughs> anyway, do you. <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm going to autograph this frozen chicken tikka masala Please. for you to take back to your house. <laughs> so that was really, f- I mean, I, I didn't do anything Ugh. that would like indicate to this kid that I thought that, but like in the millisecond before he asked his question, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's happening. And then it didn't. The time is now. It didn't happen. Um, no. If you ever see us, ask us for an autograph. <laughs> I will have like, like an internal meltdown, like in a good way. So yeah, please. Oh please my do. god, embarrassing! Please. Gosh, that's that's me. Hello, I'm embarrassing. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. Oh my god. And please rate us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you're listening. We do see the ratings coming in. We're we're getting a little more. So. That's pretty nice. Keep doing it. Thank you. All right. (laughs) All right. All right, everybody. See you next time and stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall.